Hi folks, welcome along to Soundtracking. My name is Edith Bowman and I'm saying this as if it's the first time because um, I wanted to welcome any of our new listeners. Thank you very much for joining us. It doesn't matter if you have only just discovered us. I got a couple of messages this week from first time listeners, which is why I wanted to mention you in particular. So we launched this podcast five years ago because Ben and I wanted to start a conversation about film and music and its beautiful and very distinctive and personal relationship. And we've done that since um, in our 250 plus episodes. So uh, welcome along for the ride. Thank you so much. Feel free to dive deep into um, our library of guests. And there's a really easy way that you can search either by director or by film uh, or by composer on the website, which is edithbowman.com. Um, if you go to the soundtrack and section, there's a really simple search mechanism there for you if you are fancying a deep dive. So there you go. We love making it. Absolutely adore making it. I was just talking about it with someone this morning in an interview. They were asking me about it and they were kind of like, why do you do it? I'm like, because I love it. I love it. I get to talk about film and music every week. What's not to love about that? Um, so yeah, there we go. That's why I do it, because I love it. Um, so we've got another great episode for you. Our latest guest on this episode is a composer who's probably best known for his work with the Coen brothers, uh, though he's collaborated with plenty other amazing and brilliant filmmakers. Carter Burwell was something of a punk rocker before getting his first gig to score Joe and Ethan's first feature. Everybody was on firsts, Blood Simple. And he's since provided the music for virtually all of their films, pretty much all of them, bar a few, including the latest, The Tragedy of Macbeth. So it's with a cue from The Tragedy of Macbeth that we begin Come Seeing Night. Carter, how are you? I'm Edith. It's a real treat to get to meet you and chat to you. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm really well, thank you very much. Are you in the States? I am. I'm uh, at the end of Long Island, New York. Oh, lush. Can you see the ocean? I can, actually. Yep. Oh, I'm in Gloucestershire, which is about sort of two hours west of London. But I grew up in a, in a little fishing village in Scotland, so I have a have a very kind of deep affinity with with the sea and the ocean. And, oh wow! Yeah. What part of Scotland? The east coast, a little village called Anstruther, which is an hour north of Edinburgh near St Andrews. Okay. So yeah, I was there for Christmas with my family, which was awesome. So good. <laughs> nice. Yeah. In fact, it's in Fife. Off to Fife in Macbeth. So yeah. That's um, right. Mac- yeah, yeah. Macduff. Well, he's in <laughs> yeah. Fife, I think. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. um, listen, thank you so much for your time. 
we um we've talked about you so much on my podcast which i've been running for five years and prior to covid we tried to um you know it's what the wonderful thing weirdly about this whole pandemic is this you know being able to reach out to people and speak remotely and i feel that with particularly composers it's 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 given us the opportunity to speak to so many that we normally never get the chance to speak to so i'm really quite grateful for that to be honest yeah it's interesting i know it's true it's made distance just dissolves now right yeah yeah absolutely so um thank you and and you know we've had uh in fact this whole journey for us started with with the Cohen brothers and uh, with me kind of sat at their feet with microphones holding them up like that chatting to them about about their wonderful creative process and Todd Haynes has been on a few times and and Martin as well we absolutely love so yeah I, I feel like finally we get to speak to you so it's great I was sort of just you know doing my doing my research and, and working out where to start with you and I think it's it's almost lovely because Blood Simple is coming up to celebrate in its 40th anniversary which you know, I imagine when you started working on it, it was a, a while before it was released. So we we might well be in the fortieth year of celebrating this fantastic relationship that Just you about, and, and right. the Cohen brothers uh, have. What do you remember about that first project with them? It was kind of your first <laughs> score, wasn't it? It was, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I never uh, had a plan to be a film composer. It was not. Um, that's something I'd really thought about, honestly. And uh, the person who was doing their sound editing, Skip Leavesay, who is still, you know, doing their sound editing, mm. um, he was working on Blood Simple, and he knew my work from bands I was in, in in New York City, and gave me a call and said he was working on this low budget film. They're looking for someone who would work for nothing, basically. And uh, he seemed to think that the music I made was um, had the right. I don't know what you'd have to ask Skip, I guess, whether this is the right yeah. mood, the right something. And, um, and I think he also thought we had similar sensibilities just generally. Um, so he put us together. But with that whole, I mean, I'm not sure, you know, whether you can remember about it, but but taking that, opening that door into composing for film, was it a different process or a different approach to how you'd written music previously? Yeah, with Blood Simple, basically, I did it the way that I had always done, because I didn't know any other way. You're right that it's different. By a few films later, when I knew how actually people do it, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was um, it was very I'm different. I'm all for learning on the job. I think you kind of learned through your experiences. Well, that's definitely what it was, yes. Uh, I don't think any of us actually knew exactly how to synchronize the music to the, the picture. And... Um, so when I was working on that, I would just like Joel would say, well, I think we needed about a minute and a half of this. And I would take a stopwatch and play the piano or do something. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was all it was all like that. And then I would give it to him and mm. he would edit it into the picture. And, uh, you know, so he was he was playing with it just like he was with sound and, and image. And that worked that worked nicely. I, I You know, you can never recapture that kind of innocence or. Yeah naivete however you want to describe it uh so that that score still very and that movie still very uh very special for me yeah
acting to? Were you? Was it? Was it the script? Was it a? Was it a, a, an, an yeah, emotion, they, a mood, or a? Well, I didn't have um, a script of it, and they basically I went by their cutting room just to to talk to them. I didn't have a demo reel really of anything. They showed me maybe a reel or two, uh, mm. like the opening of it. I honestly don't remember, but I definitely I do remember seeing the opening, the uh, the oil rigs um, in Texas, those opening yeah. shots. And you know, I couldn't, I really couldn't get any sense of what the movie really <laughs> was, or what it was about. And so much of their style, all honestly, does have to do, you know, and with the editing, the way that they will um, let the silences ring out mm-hmm. just so that you, it sometimes just drives you to, to laugh because, you know, it's, you know, they, they keep the camera on someone as a fly walks across their face. Or something. Yeah. But, you know, I, that didn't exist when I was looking at it. It hadn't been really been edited. It was just um, very rough. So uh, that whole, you know, magic uh, wasn't there and I didn't have a script. So I was mostly... I was looking at what they had and really just going with my own gut feelings as to what this type of film might need. I knew it involved murder and I knew it involved um, you know, just a small group of people and their uh, their their way of dissembling about uh, what was really happening with each other. Uh, so, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I basically had not much information. I try and I went back over the course of a weekend. I did a few things, some that are more like traditional thriller type music, some that were more like just sort of structural concepts uh, and using what I had at the time, which was a piano and um, mm. tape machines and, you know, simple synthesizers. I think a drum machine, maybe I just did what I, you know, threw a bunch of things together, gave it to them and then didn't hear from them for months. And then months later, I guess they were interviewing other composers. I think the people who had backed the film didn't really, they wouldn't really have been in favor of hiring someone who didn't know what he was doing, which that was me. But months later, they uh, they called me and I was actually in Manchester at the time. I was recording a record up in Manchester um, and uh, said, no, I think, yeah, we'd like you to do it when you're coming wow. back to you. So, uh, yeah, just sort of, it just suddenly appeared on the radar and and there was no time. So basically, we used the themes that I had and ideas I had come up with that first weekend and stretch them out, develop them into some kind of a score. And like I say, and then Joel took took another year to edit the film and, you know, work those in. It was um and he, all the t- all through it, Joel and Ethan are saying, you know, this movie will probably never come out. Don't keep you know, get your hopes <laughs> up because it wasn't really an independent film distribution world back then. Yeah, 
but um, started showing at festivals and eventually got out there. And then eventually other people called me and asked if I would do music for their movies. So uh. it just kind of appeared in that way. to you know so much in between then and now and, and the, the tragedy of Macbeth which is just it's so exquisite it's just beautiful so much about it I could talk about it for days I remember being at school and Macbeth being the piece of Shakespeare that we were given to to uh, to study and and it was through watching the uh, film version of it that I really connected with it and it really helped me understand the story and weirdly I asked my 13 year old son the same thing yesterday going what what are you what have you started Shakespeare yet what are you studying (laughs) Um, and uh, I said because I really think that a really great way into it is film and I think that this production in particular is just so beautifully told and so stunningly executed by the performances and the way that it's shot and how Joel's chosen to to interpret this you know this piece of of uh, of historical dialogue and and prose really um, did you come- see it? I'm curious. Not yet. No, not okay. yet. I want to sit with him. He's he's only just entered the world of Shakespeare. So right. I kind of want to give him a little bit of time to to kind of almost sort of bathe in it, to understand the kind of complexities of it. And then, and I love the idea of us kind of taking a journey through Shakespeare and film, you know, of kind of looking at all the different, because you've done some Shakespeare in the past as well. And so I did a, a version of Hamlet, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. I asked because I have, I have two teenage sons also, and they, um, would never have normally voluntarily, frankly, watched a, a, a film of Shakespeare, but they watched um, this. And in fact, one of them wa- has watched it twice now. And even though I don't think he still f- totally parses the language, um, the way it's shot and told, he um, yeah. he's right with it the whole time. And, and he loves, and he's a photographer. So he just, the oh. aesthetic uh, just draws him in. Um, it's so jaw dropping. It, yeah, yeah. It's just so beautifully shot. It's so stark and but emotive as well. Where did you? What were the conversation then with with Joe with regards to what he was looking for? You know, in terms of your your contribution, in terms of of how much was needed for this film as well. Because there's a really, I think it's there's this beautiful kind of tone of almost Middle Eastern music that is the first thing that we really hear. That I think is uh, is a really interesting audible journey into to the world really i mean joel didn't 
exactly know what he wanted, which is nice. I mean, we know each other so well that it doesn't, you know, that he has, I think he has some faith in me and um, I was willing to leave, you know, give me a blank canvas. I think one of the main questions was, yeah, the, the, you know, it's clearly dense with dialogue, right? And unlike, say, a Coen Brothers film uh, where they're, you know, there's, they leave spaces for, for me. Um, Shakespeare, of course, didn't do that. And there are some areas, let's say when Burnham Wood is marching on Dunsinane, where it's told mostly visually and, and, and with music, and then the very last scene. But otherwise, you know, this pretty dense with dialogue. And that was one of my questions to him. So where, where exactly are we putting the music? I mean, either, you know, if we wait for the quiet, the parts where there's no dialogue, there's going to be 10 minutes of music in the movie or something. But um, mm-hmm. we tried it throughout in different various ways. But uh, I mean, obviously, we always knew that it would be dark. And I think Joel, before he shot it, he described to me as, you know, you can look at this story as being similar to certain film genres, you know, like it's like a thriller. It's like a two people, a couple plot a murder. And then, you know, you watch what it does to their relationship. And, or it's also a little bit of a horror movie. You know, it's got witches and, you know, supernatural side. And then, you know, it's certainly a psychological drama. Um, so, you know, he was saying, you know, can, you could view it on any of those ways. And maybe those are helpful. <laughs> but, and I guess the score in the end is a little bit of all those things. kind of actually wanted to one of the things i liked about the script and especially the way that denzel and fran performed it is that they have like a real relationship i think you know Mm -hmm. sometimes macbeth and lady macbeth are played like they're at odds with each other or that she's like just you know pushing him all the time and here you feel like more like it's a supportive couple and they've been working together you know for and of course they're much older than uh, your usual um, Macbeths and um, that they've been together a long time and are there for each other. And I kind of wanted to play that, I have to say, um, play just because it's not the way you think of the story. You know, that's, mm-hmm. you know no one would think of it as a story about a, a good marriage, which in fact, like Joel and Fran would say, this is one good marriage in Shakespeare. And um, <laughs> I kind of like that. But in the end, I have to say of all the different ways you could play it, that one never quite survived to the final cut. Um, I, uh, I think Joel found it distracting for an audience to like, you know, warm up the relationship too much. Um, but yeah, there's so many different ways to go. Uh, in the end, we settled basically on playing it as a thriller that we get begins very slowly, has that sort of creepy fiddle part, you know, um, yeah. which I always felt that it needed some solo instrument and, um, to introduce it at the beginning there with the birds and the witches seem right. Cause then you can, you don't see that much of the witches in the, in this version, but you can always reference them with that, that fiddle. Mm. But then the trick was it's that Joel didn't want the play to take place in Scotland. He was very explicit that this isn't in a place and it, we can't have, it can't be Scottish fiddle. Yeah. Um, I, I love, you know, Gaelic music, but anyway, he's very right. 
from our first conversation, this is not Scotland and we're not playing Scottish music. So I had to kind of <laughs> What's his problem with the Scots? No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> well, so anyway, I had to kind of create my own fiddle style that wasn't Scottish or Irish or Scandinavian or Balkan or Appalachian or whatever, you know, and I think that's where the Middle Eastern thing you're, you're referring to comes from mm-hmm. just that it's, it's not really Middle Eastern either, but it's just like, where is that from? You just don't really know. But you're right, the, the, the scale that it uses is, yeah, has some similarities, I agree, to like North African music and stuff like that, you know. When shall we three meet again? In thunder, lightning, or in rain? When the holy burly's done, when the battle's lost and won, where the place upon the heath there to meet with Macbeth. Fair is foul, and foul is fair. Hover through the fog and filthy air. It's so it works so well, and also there's there's so many brilliant, really subtle cues throughout the film as well. Um, you know, is this a dagger being a great example? The kind of the minimalistness of it, and then that kind of piercing sound after the blade, and the beautiful mix of the sound design with the music as well. It just it's so effective. I think because there are so many, there is so much kind of not silence, but it makes when you do hear it, it makes it even more powerful, I think, as well. Well, I, I think that. And I think, you know, there are many films that have music that begins kind of at the beginning of the film and go plays right through and ends at the end of the film. You know, that's yeah. a way of scoring movies. But um, Joel and Ethan and I have never done it that way. And um, our scores are usually very specific. And, you know, the role of music is to play, yes, certain thing certain big you know yeah important moments um and so this is very much in that that genre it's true is this a dagger which i see before me the handle toward my hand come let me clutch thee i am thee not and yet i see thee still Art thou not, fatal vision, sensible to feeling as to sight? Or art thou a dagger of the mind, a false creation proceeding from the heat-oppressed brain? I see thee yet, in form as palpable as this which now I draw. Thou marshalest me the way that I was going, and such an instrument I was to use. Mine eyes are made the fools or the other senses, or else worth all the rest. 
I see thee still. And on thy blade and dudgeon gouts of blood, which was not so before. <laughs> no such thing. It is the bloody business that informs thus to mine eyes. Thou sure and firm set earth, hear not my steps, which way they walk, for fear thy very stones prate of my whereabout. I go, and it is done. The bell invites me. Hear it not, Duncan, for it is a knell that summons thee to heaven. Or to hell. I mean, I'm I'm such a fan of, of Frances. I think she's extraordinary. I was um I was just remembering when she won the BAFTA for three billboards and you know, that film kind of swept the board at, at the BAFTAs that year. And I was doing all the winner interviews backstage and I remember when they came back, I think they'd won best film. And so Martin had already been through and um and she'd been through, but she wouldn't do any interviews. And then when they came through as an ensemble for winning best film and Martin made her come into the room and I was so in awe of her. And she, um, she very kindly answered a question. Um, and I was kind of like, right, life complete for me. I, you know, that's it. <laughs> Cause I just think she's, she's so extraordinary and she can do, she can do anything. You know, I was talking yeah. to Chloe Zhao about that Nomadland performance last year and just how, special that was and then being reminded even you know kind of back with blood simple it's just she's phenomenal and I wondered whether because you've scored so many films that she's performed in from the Coen brothers and I rewatched Fargo recently as well to to you know the to, to three billboards with Martin and I wonder if you scored to her performance at all in any of those or, or you have done over the years oh definitely um Fargo very much so like that that we're talking about fiddle, but that fiddle, that Scandinavian fiddle tune, you know, in, in, in Fargo is, um, is really kind of hers. It's like, it's, it brings this warmth and humanity, um, to a dark, cold place, you know, and, um, which she, she does with her performance there. And three billboards, um, too, you know, it's, you know, I have to, it's all about 
that character it's not about Fran but it's about the yeah. character that she she brings to life and how that character has these two um these two sides where she's um you know a mom and also like you know, a warrior uh right And here, you know, you know, she it's not specifically about Lady Macbeth, but, you know, it's about the two of them um, mm. very much so. And this machine almost that they they put in motion. You could you could say that the witches put it in motion. I don't know. But um, they there a fate is presented to them. And they uh, in particular, she, you know, Lady Macbeth grabs it by the horns. And in fairness, she's so good. They do a lot of things. Fran and Denzel with their faces that are not, you know, that aren't in the text and aren't in, you know, needn't, aren't in the mm-hmm. play, but they, they just, do, you know, look at each other and you can tell what they are, you know, but you, it tells you all about these, con- you know, conversations they've had that you didn't see on the screen. And um, uh, it's, yeah, it's, um, it is amazing. They're, they're kind of like the gift that keep on giving because we've watched them both in so many wonderful films over the years. And you kind of think you've, you know, you know that they can kind of do anything, but they still surprise you and they still blow you away. And yeah, I was just, I think, you know, it's, I mean, Denzel should just do all the Shakespeare's now. It's like he needs to just do all of it because it's just, it's, he's so good in this. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Duncan comes here tonight. And when goes hence? Tomorrow, as he purposes. Oh, never shall sun that morrow see. Your face, my dame, is as a book where men may read strange matters. To beguile the time, look like the time. Bear welcome in your eye, your hand, your tongue. Look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. He that's coming must be provided for, and you shall put this night's great business into my dispatch, which shall to all our nights and days to come give solely sovereign sway and masterdom. Only look up clear. To alter favor ever is to fear. Leave all the rest to me.
I love talking to Todd Haynes. I just think he's a lovely human being who is just so easy and wonderful to talk to about his films. And we've had him, I think, three times now on the podcast. Very luckily to have him on. Um, mm-hmm. Most recently for his Velvet Underground documentary. Um, but um, but Wonderstruck and he, the way he talked about the workload that he gave you for that film. That <laughs> <laughs> was a workload. I'm really sorry, Carter, <laughs> but <laughs> I, that was a specific ask, wasn't it? That was quite a unique, well, tell me, was that quite a unique ask? Because obviously you've got almost two films in one. One of those is a silent film, which needs the music in advance, really, to know if it's going to work. And yeah, do you kind of grab that with the bill with both horns when it's something like that? Or how? what was the reaction for you with the, the ask of, of Wonderstruck? Yeah, I mean, we we're just talking about how I, I, frankly, I prefer not to do wall-to-wall music. But, you know, with a silent film, there there's always music, right? It's the, they doesn't even have sound effects, you know, much less dialogue. It's um, the music is there all the time. And yeah, that was... Uh, you know, it's of course, yes, a great opportunity, but it is quite a workload. And yeah, I had to think about a totally different way of um, of working than I normally do because the music can never stop. So I have to like really plan out, okay, here, they just plan it out. Like, as though, you know, if you've ever been in a editing suite for a film, they have all the shots up on the, on the, on the wall, you know, on the bulletin board. I had to really plan it out like that so that, um, I could really do those trends, you know, keep the music going without getting boring and do, you know, and play every little thing. Yeah. I mean, my work with Todd is different than a lot of maybe than any other filmmaker that I work with because he, he likes, he likes to tell, you know, really tell the story with music. You know, he, mm-hmm. he really likes it and that um, it's what, you know, goes back to the concept of melodrama. And we've worked on some things like Mildred Pierce, which truly is a melodrama. describe Wonderstruck as a melodrama but it's still from that tradition of being able to tell the story with music and tell what you know what's happening with the characters inside outside mm. you know um all of that so it's a it's a very different way of working than I you know like I said I began with Joel and Ethan and 
they're a little more distant. Uh, you know, they're, they're, the whole process is a little more ironic uh, in its general, you know, attitude. And Todd's exactly the opposite. Um, and so it's interesting. It does exercise parts of me as a composer that, um, that don't get exercised otherwise. At what point did you did you start when you had to fill out a, a, an application form for something? Write composer as your as your uh, as your as no, your job profession. Question. Yeah, no, I know. When, when Blood Simple came out, I don't remember. I think it probably just says music by Carter Girl on it. And I would never have thought to call myself a composer at that point because I was just a rock and roller, really. And um, and I wouldn't, you know, raising Arizona. Also, I wouldn't really have called myself a composer. I think it was probably when we got to around. Miller's Crossing, and then I'm working with orchestra, even though still I've hardly thought of myself as a composer. I think that's when people started calling me that. And that's right. That's when I could like on an application, you know, I could say <laughs> yeah. occupation, composer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be impossible to even think that we could skim the surface on on the wonderful work that you've 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 done, you know, with uh, across the board, let alone just the work with the Cohen brothers, you know. I mean, you know, No Country Fooled Men and Big Lebowski and True Grit, Born After Reading, Lady Killer. I mean, you know, I could I could sit here and list them off sort of thing. But it's really I was interested to find out whether you know you have this long standing relationship with them. But does every project feel so unique because it feels like it's a completely new thing with every you know, there are certain composers that you you can tell who it is, but I I find with you that you you just have this wonderful ability to I don't know. There's something just unique about every project that it has a completely different orchestration and a wonderstruck's like that as well because I love the kind of complexity of the score, but the simplicity of it as well in terms of the percussion that's there. That's a real kind of uh, is at the forefront of of a lot of the score for me and right. and and how that's kind of got this beautiful kind of childlike quality to it. But it's not kind of um, over kind of emotional as well. You know, it kind of almost stops that from happening in a way as well. It's got a really clever way of doing that. Um, no, that's really right. That, that you've touched on. That was, usually for me, I like to have a, a concept. And that might sound like a simple thing to say. But I think some film, I, I don't think it's necessary. I think people can write film scores where they're basically just playing what they see on the screen. Mm-hmm. But um for me, I, you know, to have a concept, uh, it's, it, you know, that's what gets me going really. And, 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 and keeps me going through the process. And yeah, yeah. and Wonderstruck, part of the concept was, yes, by using percussion, um, the sort of Carl Orphean percussion of, you know, um, 
Glockenspiel and Marimba and things like that, mm-hmm. it solves a problem, which is the story itself at an emotional level is so intense, like a girl basically abandoned by her mother goes searching for her and, you know, and deaf. I mean, there's so much using percussion saved me from ever. It saved me from the danger of being too melodramatic with yeah. the score. Like I knew it would never get sappy because you can't do sappy with a marimba. But it's a serious, it's serious, yeah. it does. It yeah. saves me from a real danger uh, by making it, you know, sort of percussion driven and um, having the, you know, that's part of the concept of that one um, and having some concept to drive it forward, like True Grit, the concept was, well, we'll use like 19th century Protestant hymns as the basis to play the girl's churchiness and stuff. And, but the con- that also having a distinct concept it also helps, as you say, to make each one kind of distinct. To me, ideally, each for me, each film is its own world. And even though, yes, you can kind of tell the Coen Brothers films have certain things in common, like the you know turns of phrase, the you know love of language, mm-hmm. things like that. But uh, but yeah, I think we all, all three of us, for instance, there are trying really hard not to repeat ourselves uh, with yeah. each project, trying to find something to do that's different in some way. I'm such a fan of Martin McDonough as well. He just doesn't, he just takes too long to make films. It's like, come on, where's the next one? <laughs> I know, I know. He's, he's told me once he had a general kind of rule of thumb about every four years of film or something. Because, of course, he has, he has another day job as a, yeah. as a playwright, right? But he is, he's editing one now. So um, there is one coming. Yes. Is that Banshee's? But, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, in Bruges, I could, I could watch that film every week. I think that he just has this, I don't know, it's just such a unique tone to his films, I think, as well, in terms of oh, it's kind of almost fallen off the cliff of dark comedy in a good way. It's so good and so needed, I think, as well. It's just, is it fun <laughs> to work on his films? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, in Bruce still, yeah, big favorite of mine. You you remind me, I probably haven't seen it now in a couple of years. I should I want to watch. I haven't shown that to my uh, to my kids, but I I think they would love it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, 
that one, yeah, still kind of magical to me because, yeah, the combination of tones. Um, and mm. because I also think it, like the music, you know, I made a choice there to play sort of fragile music for these two tough guys, you know, because in fact they're fragile, but you know, you don't, you don't see that fragility until you're, you know, like well into the film. I did feel like they really the the music worked very well with the film and and just the way Ray Fine's character just appears in what the third act and like you know exactly when you think you know what the story is suddenly it's like wow you know it's, it explodes again and it, Martin's just so good at that kind of thing like surprising you um, that's really true um, so yeah it's yeah. always uh, it's always great. Um, listen, we run out of time, but I I I mean there's 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 so much we could. Uh, talk about and I hope we get the chance to to uh, catch up again on that maybe when this when Martin's next film finally gets the light of day we can uh, we can talk about that and it allows us the opportunity to talk about lots of other things Carol the morning show as well which I absolutely loved as well and we can talk about that comparison with working on tv and, and film as well as many other things thank you Carl I really appreciate your time oh thank you it was great <laughs> so great to chat to you hope we get to do it again soon thanks a lot okay. take care you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. From the score to In Bruges, that's dressing for death, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with composer Carter Burwell. My huge thanks to Carter for taking the time to talk to us. The Tragedy of Macbeth is available via Apple TV and is also shown in selected cinemas. It is stunning on so many levels and the score is available via Sony Music Entertainment. If you'd like to hear my chat with Martin McDonough, 
or the numerous episodes with Todd Haynes, head to that website I was talking about at the start. It's edithbowman.com where you'll also find every single episode of the podcast. If you like the music that we play on the uh, podcast, the very small excerpts that we play, what we do for every episode is we put up a Spotify playlist so that you can go and enjoy the music in its entirety in the order that we play it. So for every episode of the podcast, there is also a correlating playlist on Spotify. You can find details of that on edithbowman.com also. If you aren't already, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. If you get the chance, please leave us a little rating and review if you get a minute. And also, if we could, please ask if you like what you hear, spread the word. Tell people about us because we rely on your word of mouth to get it out about this podcast. So thank you in advance. Next up, I'm joined by a sir. Uh, Sir Kenneth Branagh is next week's guest talking about his fantastic latest film that he's written and directed it's very much part of um, the story of his life really as a young boy growing up in Belfast it's called Belfast and the music and score of the film has been done by none other than Van Morrison so you can hear Kenneth Branagh talk about Belfast and Van Morrison on next week's show I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then <laughs> 